Liverpool 3 0. Call it, take it quickly, Origi! Yeah! He's better than Luis Figo, don't you know? Welcome to the Anfield Central podcast. My name is Luke and I'm joined by James to discuss all things Liverpool, including that 3-1 win over Crystal Palace. James, how are you doing, my friend? Yeah, not too bad. The uh, African Cup of Nations doesn't seem to have stalled the red so far, so exactly good. So let's get straight into it then. A 3-1 win for Liverpool away at Crystal Palace. Um, people always say... Oh, it's a tricky fixture for Liverpool going away to Selhurst Park after that draw all those years ago um, in 2014. But that's 10 wins out of 10 for Liverpool against Crystal Palace now. Yeah, I always, I don't know what it was. I, I seem to have this perception about Crystal Palace being a bogey team for Liverpool. Obviously, like you said, you, you talk about the title challenge where Liverpool are 3-0 up and you end up drawing the game 3-3. And Steven Gerrard's final home game against uh, for Liverpool. Liverpool went 1-0 up against Crystal Palace. They come back and win 2-1. And then under Sam Allardyce, Benteke scored uh, twice against us with Sacco in the team as well. So just seem to have to think about Palace being a bulky team. But like you said, if you look through how Liverpool have played against them, especially under Jurgen Klopp, I think we've gone there with some pretty, pretty bad teams, really, um, in and around sort of uh, in Klopp's first season when we were trying to put all our eggs in the basket with the Europa League, uh, trying to win that to get into the Champions League. You know, started Jordan Ibe on the wing and games like that. So, um, yeah, to, to, you know, Crystal Palace are always a tough opponent, you know, regardless of which manager that they've got in charge, whether they're really defensive or whether they're going for it. So, really pleasing to come away with the three points, especially after City slipping up on a, the Saturday night. Yeah, that's all, that, all we said last week, wasn't it? That you just have to keep up that pressure on Man City and... Um see where it takes us. And with City drawing, obviously Liverpool have got a game in hand over them. Win that, you're a bit close. We've got to go to the Etihad as well in a few weeks' time. There is a glimmer of hope there. It may not be a massive gap in terms of, the they've not left the door ajar particularly much, but there is a little bit of hope there. Yeah, I just think, it, it, I think Van Dijk's come out and said uh, after the Palace game that Liverpool can't be thinking that, you know, can't be putting all their eggs in the basket for to challenge for the title this season, even with City slipping up on Saturday. But I don't know. I just think when you're that far ahead, I think there was at points when when we won the league, when we were so far ahead, and then we lost to Watford, and then Bournemouth took the lead at Anfield. And around that time, there was just a few performances where you thought his complacency started to kick in here. Um, so I think with City, as yes, then you know. Eventually, we like we both said, this winning run that they were on was it 14 games had to eventually come to an end. They, they couldn't carry on winning every game up until uh, the end of the season. So it's just all about Liverpool capitalising. And I think we said, you know, if Liverpool can just hang in till after this winter break, until Mane and, and Salah and Naby come back, then you just never know. And I, I think that's the thing with the Premier League is we've seen City go and lose at home to Crystal Palace and we've seen them lose to Tottenham and I think to say the title's over now is 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 daft, but like you said, it's um, it's it's definitely title race still on, but it's just a little bit of a glimmer of hope, I think. And looking at the game, yes, obviously the biggest talking point of the match was that that penalty where um, Diego Jota won, and it initially wasn't given, but then VAR got involved, and Kevin Friend ended up awarding the penalty. It was a game of two halves in many ways, in the sense that first half or probably more accurately, first 30 minutes, Liverpool were well on top, took 2-0 lead, and it looked like it could be a bit of a cricket score, but 
credit to Palace that they rallied um, and were probably the better team up until that penalty incident, would you say? Yeah, I totally agree with you there. I think, you know, at the beginning of the season when me, you and Max gave our surprise teams of the years or, you know, who I said Crystal Palace was purely because of Patrick Vieira, I think we've seen now a Crystal Palace team that can go for it and can take a game to, to any team, which you know we've never seen, especially under Roy Hodgson. It was always stick everyone behind the ball and then just hope Wilfred Zaha can win you a set piece up the other end or do something individually. So I think yesterday was a prime example of, of how good Crystal Palace can be. I think, like you said, first 30 minutes for Liverpool was just vintage Liverpool, wasn't it? Knocking the ball around, high press, winning the ball really quickly, getting it from back to front. Um, and then you you know you go up two 0 and like you said you start to think is this going to be four five six you know try and help the goal difference if you know if you're trying to run down Manchester City it could go down to that and yeah like you said it's you know they've got really dangerous players Palace with Elise and and Eze and Edouard looks like he's taken to the Premier League really well since moving from Celtic so I think the most important thing was Liverpool just coming away with a three points I think what happened like we said on Saturday night with City. It was just Liverpool, just just win now. You can win every game one 0 if you want. Do you know what I mean? It's still three points on the board. It's not about how you, you know, how you win. It's it's just about getting those three points now. And let's talk about that that controversial instant in a bit more detail. What did you make of it? Because there's been a lot of chat on social media and and throughout football, really. And personally, I don't think it was a penalty. I think we got a little bit lucky there. I think Jota didn't really have control of the ball and he's probably it's just a natural coming together between him and the goalkeeper I don't think Guaita could do a great great deal more saying that I'm not going to protest too much because it's gone in our favour and there's been plenty that have gone against us you know this season and generally since VAR have been introduced Liverpool have been on the you know the the wrong side of quite a few poor decisions in my opinion um, as every team has but when it goes your way, I'm not going to protest too much. But what, what was your take on, on the incident? No, I, I totally agree. I don't think, I don't think it's a penalty. I think there is a little bit where you see Jota take a step to the right to sort of maybe yeah. get in the way of, of of greater. But what was it Sam Allardyce famously said when Lovren pushed Calvert Lewin in the back? Don't give the referee, don't put the referee in a position where he has to make a decision, basically. And I think that's what Gates has done. I think he's come flying out. Now, if, if Jota's lost the control and he's lost, um, like you said, lost control of the ball, why is he coming flying out? He's just putting himself in a, in a dangerous situation where, like you said, he's, he's given the referee the option, but I mean, everyone's blaming VAR for it, but it's the referees giving it. You know, it's it's the the VAR referee on the days giving it, and then like you say, Kevin Friends obviously reversed his decision. Um, but you know, I said to you um, after the Spurs game when Jota didn't get the penalty um, when we were two one up, uh, or was it one one? I, I said to you, I said over the course of a season, stuff like this does balance itself out. And, you know, a couple of weeks later, Liverpool get one in their favour, but think over VAR decisions I still think Liverpool are on a, a negative two so we've had penalties given and then they've been overturned afterwards so like you said it swings and roundabouts with decisions like that but just seeing rival fans piss boiling um, it's uh, it's, been, it's been another another fun couple of days as a Liverpool fan yeah and there's a few that stick in the mind over the last year or two as well obviously that that Jota one's the um, most recent example but 
there was the Mane against Newcastle a year or two ago where Dubravka's pulled him down. There was you know, Andy Robertson um, conceded a penalty away at Brighton on Danny Welbeck that looked really harsh. So it's not a, I don't think it's a big club bias thing. I know people always say that the likes of Liverpool and Man United and Man City get all the decisions going in the top six, but I just think that it's more just to do with that the people who are controlling the VAR and the referees in this in England and in this country, we've said it for years, even before VAR, that the standard of refereeing is not that it's necessarily poor, but it's extremely inconsistent from game to game. And VAR was meant to be something that could level the playing field in that in that sense, give the referees a bit of help, which they obviously need because it's a tough job. But I just think with these these ones. When the referee goes to the monitor, you know he's always going to change his mind because I don't think with this season anyway, there's been a single instant where the referee stuck to his his original decision. Um, I remember Andre Mariner last season st- um, sticking with his decision and disagreeing with the VAR when Liverpool were playing Fulham away at Craven Cottage. But other than that, they almost always do switch back, switch the other way. So I'm not really sure what the answer is. I'm, I don't know whether... VAR is getting involved a bit too much because when it first was being introduced, we were told it was only going to be for clear and obvious referee mistakes. And I don't really think that would fit in that category, Esther. No, it, it seems every season, every summer going into the new season, we get told these new VAR rules and we get told that this is going to change this, which is going to improve this. And the referee is going to get a lot more help and it's going to be a lot clearer for the referee, especially with the offsides and the handballs. Yeah. Um, but it, I just think, like you said, it's, it's just a standard of refereeing in this country. I think, you know, 2018 World Cup, there was no English referees, no British referees taken to that tournament where, you know, in the previously 2010, we had Howard Webb refereeing, yeah. you know, in, 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 in the final. Um, so I just think it's the standard of referees here. And I also think it's the standard of the VAR referees as well, because like you said, the referees are making a decision. And then somebody sat at Stockley Park and is going, right, you need to take another look at this. Now, then it, it becomes the referee who's originally gave the decision on the field. It starts adding doubt into their mind. And then the referees are going to start thinking, well, is there any point in me giving a decision anymore? Because VAR is just going to turn it over. And then it does go to show the poor standard of refereeing if every big decision is getting overturned. If we're seeing more and more VAR overturns, you know, it just goes to show that the referees we've got aren't making the correct call on the pitch and and, and that's why we need it. But every other country, um, every other league in Europe really has got VAR nailed down to a T really. Just goes to show uh, us again, <laughs> we take something that's really good and end up breaking it. So I think until you improve the standard of the referee and then I, I, VAR, it's just it's, no one's ever going to like it. And on a positive note, obviously that's six points out of six in the Premier League since... Um... African Cup of Nations have started. Liverpool have also got to a cup final in that in that period, which we'll talk about a bit later. It's been pretty plain sailing, really. I think that other than that nil-nil at Anfield against Arsenal, every game Liverpool have played, there's been a positive outcome. And a lot of people are obviously worried about this period because we're losing, you know, Sarah and Mane, two of your probably best attackers, and obviously Naby Keita as well, who's a valuable asset in, in that midfield. But it's gone strangely well <laughs> yeah it's it's not gone as bad as everybody thought really it, it, I think you know we spoke about it after the Arsenal game where the the thing that Liverpool don't like the most is playing against 10 men because Liverpool like to play the free-flowing football 
um, getting in behind players, creating space, you know, Firmino or Jota dropping in and then the two wingers making their inverted runs. Um, and I think just people overreacted um, after the Arsenal game. We've seen, you know, you put three, three past Brentford, you put three past Palace. Um, and it's, like you said, you go to Arsenal and the Emirates and they were, Liverpool absolutely dominated that game. That's probably the worst Arsenal performance I've seen other than the beginning of the season. Obviously, they had some difficult games, but they, they were just, considering it was a home a home semi-final, to be honest, we did them a favour by giving them the second leg at home. Um, yeah, it's um, it's been good to see the likes of Curtis Jones, I think, was, I know we said we'll speak about it later on, especially that Arsenal game, I thought he was unbelievable. And again, yesterday, and Oxlade-Chamberlain, two goals in two games, Brentford and Palace, it's, you know, we're starting to see a bit more creativity from the midfield. And I think it's just, I mean, these players, don't, and they, they know how good Salah and Mane is. You know, they train with them and play with them every week. But it must get to them if, if when every time you hear the news or in the newspaper saying that Liverpool are going to fall away because they've got two players missing. And I think now we're starting to see some players sort of fighting back to say, no, Liverpool, no, we're still a really good team and we can still beat anybody home and away um, with or without Salah or Mane. Yeah, and I think, like you mentioned there, the likes of Jota, Jones, also Chamberlain, those three particularly, that when African Cup of Nations was obviously coming around, Klopp was saying that we'll find solutions from within the squad and people were a little bit maybe worried about that because they didn't think, you know, our squad depth has been questioned at times this season. But, you know, those those three particularly have stepped up and Fabinho, obviously he's been on penalty duty, but he's been chipping in with the, with, with the goals. And Fabinho, I think, has also looked in the last few weeks, his kind of leadership qualities have really started to stand out a bit. I'm not sure whether it's just because there's a few absentees or whether because that midfield isn't as strong as it once was, but he seems to have really started to enforce himself on on the whole game, um, which is great to see. But another area of the pitch, which has obviously stayed really strong, has been the fullbacks. Um, Two assists again for Andy Robertson yesterday. Andy Robertson's now, I think, only Leighton Baines has got more assists than him out of Premier League defenders in, in you know in the history of the Premier League, which is a pretty mental statistic, really. And Trent Alexander-Arnold's not far far behind when you consider his age. That's pretty crazy as well. But it, it got me thinking that when we look at the way that Liverpool play, we know how much creativity comes from the, both those guys. That obviously a lot's been made of Salah and Mane going away for the African Cup of Nations. But do you actually think that if we were to lose those two fullbacks, that would be more damaging to the team than the guys in the front three. There is a really, a really good case for that. I think, no disrespect, but, you know, we've seen Jones come in, like you said, and still put, you know, really good performances in on the left-hand side. You know, Harvey Elliott's coming back. So he can play on the right wing when Salah's not there. I just think the drop-off, maybe... I'm more comfortable with Simakas coming in for Robertson. I think we've seen enough from him, especially this season, to sort of see that he can. He's, he's good going forward. You know, he, he's had a, you know got a couple of assists early on in the season, and he's always determined to get back. But I think, especially that right hand side, no disrespect to Nico Williams, but the drop off from yeah. Trent to Nico Williams is probably, if you go through the squad, apart from obviously Salah and, and Mane, it's probably the biggest drop off we've got in terms of talent um i think like we said in the midfield okay you've got no no nabby so you just put tiago in if you've got no tiago you just put nabby in both creative players and you know, good technical players but 
if you're going from Trent to Nico Williams, like I said, no disrespect, but you're going from a generational talent to, to somebody who, if Liverpool sold, I don't think any any of the fans would bat an eyelid about it. So we've seen them since they've you know, both been playing at the club, going forward, coming back, linking up. The partnerships that Robertson has got with Mane and the partnership that Salah's got with with Trent, it's it's they're in sync with each other. It's it's something that you know you can throw somebody else in, and that relationships you know it's not going to be there. It's you know hours spent on the training ground, and I, I do do see the point. I, maybe not so much Robertson to Simicast, but I think definitely if you miss Trent for three months, I, I definitely think that's the biggest drop off. And Looking at Robertson, he obviously, his season started a little bit up and down. He had a bit of an injury. Um, I think he came out from, he got an injury, didn't he, in pre-season in that friendly um, at Anfield. And then Simicast obviously went in for a few games. Then Robertson's obviously got that suspension fairly recently against Tottenham. So Simicast came back in and there was just a lot of talk among the fan base that maybe, you know, Robertson wasn't performing at the, at the levels that we got used to over the last two, three years. But I think over the January period, particularly, he's really started to step it up again and, and kind of not prove anyone wrong because I think most people could would still believe that Robertson, you know, is obviously the best left back at the club. But because the Simicast has been so impressive when he has deputised, there was just a few little comments here and there about how Robertson's form was. But like I say, particularly in January, he's been really, really impressive. Yeah, that, when you look at Andy Robertson, I think you've got to take into account how much football that guy's played since he's come into the club. Like he came in and okay, it took him a you know a couple of months, a couple of you know, games into the season for him to actually make that left back position his own. Um, we've seen Klopp do that with Fabinho as well. But since then, he's playing near enough every single game. He's representing his country every single international break. They've just got to the first international tournament since you know since the nineties. Um, where he was captain for, and I think you know we've seen it with Mane and we've seen it with with Firmino. I think there comes a point where players are just burned out, and I think it's because we've had nobody to come in to to give Robertson a rest. And then, like you said, he, you've got the international tournament, and then I think they only had two three weeks off, and then it was straight back into training again with the club. And then I was at the Bilbao game where he where he got injured, so then he's already injured. And then he's trying to work his way back. And then how, how many times have we seen Liverpool playing Saturday, Tuesday, Sunday, Wednesday, all of this season? And I just think it's took him a little bit time to sort of find his feet again into the season. You know, we've seen Henderson struggle so you know, parts of the season because he you know, had the injury, rushed back for England, a couple of weeks break, straight back in it with Liverpool. And I think, you know, we've sensible fans will understand that these players aren't robots and it, it's going to come a point where they do get burned out. And I just think, Look at how many games Robertson's played consecutively since being at the club, um, and I think we can you know, forgive him for having. And it wasn't, it wasn't like he became a terrible left back. He was still in the top three left backs in the league. I just think it's because he's been so good. A little bit of a drop off is is notable noticeable to everyone. And then, like you said, Simakas's form doesn't help the argument. But you know what is it? Form is temporary, class is permanent. And I think, like you said, we're seeing the best Andy Robertson. You know, post Christmas. Yeah, absolutely. And just before we move on from the fullbacks, just a how good was that Trent Alexander Arnold ball to Jota um, in the build up to the, the, the penalty decision? It obviously got overlooked a little bit 
given the controversy surrounding the penalty, but my word, what a pass. He is absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> um, as a passer, I think Neville summed it up the best the other week. Neville said he was uh, a De Bruyne, a Gerrard and a Beckham all rolled into one and he plays it right back, I think. That's what I think that's what digs Liverpool out of trouble so many times. I think we saw it against West Ham last season where um, he gets the ball from a West Ham corner and just pings it straight all the way to Shakiri and Shakiri lays it off to Salah and within three passes or two passes, sorry, Liverpool, you know, went went three nil up in the game, two nil up in the game. So listen, his passing ability is absolutely ridiculous. And I can understand why people want him to go into midfield so we can see more of them passes. But if he's doing it from right back, he may as well just leave him where he is. Um, and obviously, in the, in that game yesterday, we talked a little bit already about how Palace kind of put us under pressure quite a bit. Second half, got an early goal. Um, and Liverpool didn't really settle in that second half, to be honest. Um, and what seemed to be an avenue that was working really well for Palace was obviously that high line that Liverpool tend to play, um, trying to keep catching people offside, thinking commentary Jamie Carragher was saying how how Liverpool were almost obsessed with catching people offside at times. And we saw with the goal that they scored that um, Mateta obviously stayed onside. It was a great pass by Schlupp. And then they had two on one on the keeper and obviously scored. Do you think that at times when we're under pressure in games, we're a little bit slow to adapt in the sense that you could just knock that high line back a few yards and it wouldn't really negatively impact you going forwards but you could just do it for five, 10 minutes just to get the game a bit more settled. And then you can go back to, to the, the standard high line, which obviously works really well. And it's, it's part of the system and, it, and it's fine and, and all of those things. But just on occasions like yesterday, it felt like there was a 15, 20 minute period where we were just keeping that high line at the same level and we were getting caught out two, three times over and over again. Yeah, I think when you, you look at the, the way Palace play, right? you said before, they got some really quick and exciting plays like Eze and Elise and, um, Edward is, you know, is a quick, strong player as well, and especially he's just said that, uh, Matessa. But I think it's, I, I understand, and you know, listen, there's sometimes where I think that's where Liverpool struggle sometimes. They're a little bit naive and thinking they don't have to shore up, they can carry on playing the way that they usually play, and you know, they'll, they'll manage to get themselves out of trouble. But I think, I think it just comes down to being naive sometimes. Um, and also, it's. I don't know if Liverpool work well when they, they change too much in game or they tinker too much in the game, um, dropping two yards back. It, you know, Liverpool are used to playing the high line. So I don't know what it is, but there is, there are, and there has been a few times this season for Liverpool where I've just thought, just trying to, especially that Chelsea game, just try and take the sting out of the game. Yeah. Just try and ride the next five, 10 minutes, get into half time at 2 1. Um, and then all of a sudden, you know, you, you could come away with three points instead of the two. But I just think it's, it's not really the Jurgen Klopp way. And, you know, going from the manager on the training pitch down to the players. Um, and I think he, you know, the players believe that they can still play the same way. You know, Van Dijk's, you know, still believes he can, he can do what he, you know, what he did previously before the injury and everything. So I just think that's what it comes down to. I think the players, you know, play in the Jurgen Klopp way and, you know, since he's been at Liverpool, I don't think he's ever gone for that pragmatic approach in games. And I think you know, we definitely do need to see it at times because yesterday we, you know, Palace really did have us on the ropes and no disrespect, but it's Crystal Palace. It's not like we were playing a, you know, a City or 
or a Chelsea where we you know, we were on the ropes. This is a team who are sort of mid-table. Um, sometimes it, it is a cause for concern. Yeah, and they missed quite a few chances as well, didn't they? At 2-1, um, that they had at 2-0, to be honest, where they could really have got a few more goals. But um, just before we move on, jo- Joel Matip's last couple of games have been a little bit a little bit dodgy, obviously subbed at half-time in the Arsenal game for Kanate. And then yesterday, again, he looked a little bit sloppy on the ball. He's had a lot of praise this season, and rightly so. Um, he's been very consistent and, you know, touch wood, he's actually he had not been injured um, all season, really. And he's been Van Dijk's preferred partner at centre-half and probably one of the best centre-halves in the league. Um, so I don't want to dwell too much on, on just two games, but just a little bit of un... Joel-like sloppiness, I think. Yeah, I think that the one thing we always credit uh, you know, Joel with is his ability on the ball for, for such a gangly centre-half um, and how he can pick out a pass sometimes. His passes, he, he can dive, he can completely miss the midfield and he can put the, the ball straight to the feet of Salah or straight to the feet of Jota and I think that's one of his biggest qualities. But I do agree, I think the last two games we've probably seen the worst of Matip this season. And like you said, it is only two games. And for someone who, like you said, has, has arguably been the best defender in the Premier League this season, I know a lot of rival fans won't admit that, um, you know, because he's not the glamorous name where he wasn't brought in for a lot of money. But um, the reason I'm not too concerned is, because also you've got Canate as a ready-made replacement to come straight in, I think. Any dip in form, um, obviously you can bring Canate in. And this was last season. Um, I would be a lot worried because then you've only got Nat Phillips and and uh, and Williams to sort of come in and, and and replace Matip. But I just think it's you know it's just a little blip in the form for Matip. He's he's been nothing but solid since he's first come into the club. And listen, I think the two week break will do him the world of Gordon. So we'll see the best of him again when when he comes back from from this winter break. But like you said, it's two games and. You don't want to be ripping apart a fantastic season for Joel Matip just on the back of, of two games. Yeah, absolutely. So moving on, obviously, Liverpool have got to the Carabao Cup final, which is great news. Um, we'll face Chelsea in that final. And a little bit of early team news already, about a month early, is that Jürgen Klopp said um, that Cuevan Kelleher will be in goal um, for that game. He's obviously played every single round. I think the only fixture he didn't play was that 0-0 against Arsenal at Anfield where Klopp was trying to get Alisson back up to match fitness after his um, COVID case. Obviously immensely deserved. Kelleher, I think we can all agree, has been fantastic whenever called upon. We've got no complaints at all, really. I think Liverpool fans are really satisfied of having him as your number two. However, throwing him in for the final, what do you think? Do you think it's a bit of an unnecessary risk or do you think, you know, he's done nothing well so far, so he deserves the final and why not? I mean, we spoke about it the other week, didn't we? And you we predicted did, yeah. it, <laughs> saying that this this would obviously be a, a real possibility um, that this could happen. Um, I don't agree with it. I think, listen, you say fair play to the players who've got you to the final, and there's the, all the second string players and the young players who've come in and got you there, but you're not telling me... So if, if he deserves a chance, are you telling me that Minamino and Origa deserve a chance to start the game because they scored the goals in the early rounds? So I think you open up yourself to, to, to that sort of criticism, really. But, I mean, it's not... It won't be the worst thing because, obviously, we've seen Kelleher play really well. He made that brilliant save against Arsenal in the second leg. And we've seen him play in the Premier League and make some really good saves. But 
you've got to give him some game time before that final. You can't just throw him straight in to that final on the Sunday and he's not played between now and that final. I think if you, you know, obviously Klopp's going ahead with it now. I think you've got to play him in the two games leading up to it. You know, the goalkeeping position is the most difficult position because you're just thrown in, you know, you need to get into a routine with the back four. It's a big game. It's going to be the biggest game of his career. And I think it would just be a bit unfair just to throw him straight into a final because you're still going up against the Chelsea team with, I know they're not in great goal-scoring form, but it's still Lukaku, it's still Mason Mount, it's still Havertz, it's still Zidcek. Um, So if it was a lesser opponent, I'd say, yeah, fair enough. But if you're going to do it, I think you've got to give Kelleher more game time. I don't think you can... Well, the finals on the 27th of February, so what's that, four weeks away? Yeah, um, I, th- I think you've got to give him some game time before that because I think it'd be really unfair to, to throw him in with with cold feet. Yeah, I think I, c- I completely agree. Obviously, there's the FA Cup game against Cardiff, which is before them, but that's right at the start of next month. So it's going to be quite a way away from, from the final itself. Um, not sure exactly what the fixtures look like around there, but I just think as much as, like I said, you completely deserves it. But when you, Alison Becker's one of the best goalkeepers in the world, and, you, and you've got him. And I just think when it's a final, no matter who's... I know the players that got you there, you could argue deserved that chance, but we've seen it before where, I think it was Watford, wasn't it, a few years ago, got to the FA Cup final and they played Heralia Gomez instead of Ben Foster, who's a regular keeper. And they obviously got absolutely <laughs> spanked by Man City. <laughs> but not, not that that was his fault, but there is a precedent for it. I think Man City might have played Zach Stefan in the final last year, for example, and other examples over the years. But when it's such a big game, Liverpool haven't won a domestic trophy for 10 years. Um, Klopp's not won a domestic cup since coming into the club. The opposition, you know, it's probably the toughest opposition you could ask for other than Man City. There's just so many elements where I just think, do you just play your best team? And then if you play your best team and you get beat on the day, Fine, right? You've done all you can, but you just don't want the next day there to be any any regrets. And if we go in to the game, we lose one nil, and it's a goalkeeping mistake. It's just it will just be the whole narrative. The next day, will be like, why did he play him? Did, did, did that make sense? Like, and like you said, you wouldn't do it in any other position. You wouldn't play Tyler Morton instead of Fabinho or Minamino instead of Mane, would you? Um, so, to me, I know why he's done it. We know cops a sentimental guy, and you want you want to reward the youth players and say, you know, if you play well and stake your place in, stake your place in the team, this is your reward for it. Your reward is the final because you've been excellent for all the rounds. But for me, it just seems like you're opening yourself up for something to go wrong. And, and I just really hope for, for his sake that whether we win or not, he just has a flawless game because the last thing you want is for him to make, you know, an error or the occasion get the better of him or, or whatever the case may be. Yeah, I think, you know, he has aspirations of being the Liverpool number one. And we've seen this with Carrius where he messed up in a final and his confidence has been shot and he's never been the same keeper since. And obviously for a young goalkeeper, you'd never want to see that. But like you say, we played Cardiff on the sixth, which is three weeks before the final. And then we've got Leicester at home, Burnley away, Inter Milan away and Norwich at home. So I think you've definitely got to play him in that Norwich game. Um, because like you said, it's it's... There is a, a, a sense of, yes, you know, reward the players who, who have got you there. But, like, we haven't been to the League Cup final since Klopp's first season. Um, 
we and we've always we got to the semi-final a few years we got knocked out against Southampton and I don't think if we don't win the title this season you at least want some silverware to show for it and you know this is the, obviously the best chance we've got because we're in the final now so I think you have to take it seriously and I don't know I, I don't want anything to go wrong for him to, to knock his confidence because when he has come into the team he has been absolutely brilliant um, like in that Chelsea game made some really big saves Um so we know we you know we can play in the bigger games, but you know it's Wembley Stadium. It's you know eighty or thousand uh, eighty or thousand fans who are going to be there, and yeah, I I, I just think Allison made some brilliant saves yesterday. You know, especially at two one and and at certain you know the one where Liverpool two 0 up, I think it was two 0 and Allison doesn't move and just sticks his arm out and punches it over the crossbar, and you think he's the best keeper in the world, but. You know, we trust Klopp with what he wants to go with, but I just really hope it doesn't backfire. Yeah, fingers crossed. But in terms of getting to the final, you know, in the first place, great win over Arsenal. Obviously, I think we were probably a little bit under pressure um, psychologically ahead of that one. We'd obviously, in the first leg, it was nil-nil against an Arsenal with 10 men. And, you know, that seems like an opportunity missed. And then you go into a way to the Emirates. It seemed, even though... You know, Liverpool are a far better team than Arsenal at the moment and, and are ahead of them in their development. It does seem like Arsenal had to win that game from an Arsenal perspective just to show that they could mix it with the big boys because they had the game at home. They'd ridden the storm out already in the first leg of playing almost the entire match with 10 men. And they were in, you know, up until, basically up until the last few weeks where they've got knocked out of the FA Cup to Nottingham Forest and dropped points in the Premier League at home to Burnley. They looked like, you know, you'd probably say, one of the favourites for top four ahead of, you know, Man United and West Ham, etc. But they've just dropped off a little bit and we were able to exploit that with two really good goals from Diogo who seems to score against Arsenal every time he plays. <laughs> well, we spoke about it, um, I think it was the week leading up to the the, the first postponed tie. Um, we said we see a lot of potential in this Arsenal team, um, but we both agreed that there are still hints of this old Arsenal team that if as soon the little gust of wind and all the cards will come falling down and you know like you said you know we did them call it a favor by getting the second leg played at the Emirates you've just worked hard you've just put 10 men behind the ball you've got a good result away at Anfield nil nil you're going to be taking it to a full sellout stadium which it was it was you know there was yeah. hardly any empty seats so the crowd were right behind them and the performance was just flat from them there wasn't one moment where I thought Liverpool are in danger you know we're not going to go through it was it was a very composed Liverpool performance and I think you know Van Dijk at the end got asked if it was a statement win and he said what do you mean a statement win it's just yeah. that's just how Liverpool you know that's the standards they set themselves and I just think, you know, the game was there for Arsenal to, to take it to us and and to, to make us worry, um, especially with Matip going off at halftime and Canate coming on, you're thinking, you know, Canate won't have a feel for the game, so let's go and, let's go and uh, you know, aim down that, that side. And he ended up nearly scoring. But I just think the first 10, 15 minutes ought to told you where the game was going to go and it was always going to go in Liverpool's favour. Um, and I think it's, you know, I've seen a few Arsenal fans on social media saying this wasn't even Liverpool's best team. Yeah. And, you know, they still went out, bullied Arsenal and came away with a 2-0 win and, and the result never looked in doubt. You know, there was no Alisson, no Thiago, 
no Naby, no Salah, no Mane. And it goes to show that Liverpool can, can still put teams away at, you know, whenever they feel like it. And like you said, it, we also were getting high praises for the way that they started the season very poorly to where they were coming up to the Christmas period. You know, they were flying at, you know, in the top four. And like I said, just one one big gush of wind and all the cards seem to fall down for Arsenal. But that'll come with the experience. They're all still young. A lot of the back four still playing together for, for the first time this season. So it will come. But I think Liverpool just too strong for them. And it's a bit of a worrying sign that for other teams in and around that four position. If, if Liverpool can just swat away a team like Arsenal, who everyone was speaking so highly of considering all the players we were missing. Yeah, and, and we'll obviously save a proper preview for closer to the time, but just quickly now, like I said already, Liverpool haven't won a domestic cup for 10 years. The last one was this competition, that uh, win over Cardiff City, a penalty shootout win over Cardiff City in 2012. So a lot of, I wouldn't say a lot's been made, but there's been a few discussions, you know, on, on Sky and stuff about this is the best Liverpool team possibly ever. It's the best Liverpool team, absolutely, probably in our lifetimes and within the last, you know, 10 to 20 years, and especially since the start of the Premier League, this is the best Liverpool team. But Klopp's trophy hall, while obviously he's delivered the Holy Grail of the Premier League after 30 years, Champions League trophy as well, just by pure coincidence, there's also one other generational team at the moment in Guardiola's Man City. So it would just be really nice to add another trophy into the cabinet, even though... You know, if you don't win the Carabao Cup and you get knocked out in the early rounds, we probably wouldn't be too bothered. But once you're in the final and the opportunity is there and you can almost, you know, you can almost feel the win, it was just nice to add another one to his collection. Just so when he's gone, when that sad day happens, there's just more to show for it just because he's he's been the greatest manager in my lifetime as, as a Liverpool fan. And even though I'm not saying what he's done so far hasn't been enough because if you'd told me when he signed, we'd win the Premier League title. You know, I'd have take, I'd have absolutely beat your hands up. I'd, I'd take one title in ten years at that point. But now we've seen what he's built. It'd be nice to just put some more silverware away, wouldn't it? Yeah, it's it's another one to cement his his place as Liverpool's greatest manager during the Premier League period. Um, I don't think there's any doubt of that anyway. But I, I do think it just adds a stronger claim to you know who's who's been the better manager since they've come into the Premier League: Pep Guardiola or Jurgen Klopp, obviously different situations, Pep's had more money, you know, Klopp hasn't. Um, but as I think as soon as you get to the quarterfinal of any tournament, uh, any competition, you know, you're only four games away from the final. Uh, sorry, from lifting the cup, you're only three games away from the final. I think you have got to start taking it seriously. And I, I think we saw that against Leicester with Klopp, I think. Like you say, you go out in the early rounds of the Carabao Cup, the FA Cup as a local fan, you're not really too bothered because you've still got the Champions League and obviously you're still within a title race, um, as we have been for the last, you know, apart from last season, you know, the two previous years before that, it was very much neck and neck between us and Manchester City. So I think, you know, we saw it with Klopp. He, he, he has started to take this competition more seriously. He brought the likes of Naby Keita on, um, you know, when he uh, he brought, um, he took young Billy off um, at halftime. Yeah. Um, and brought some more senior players on to, to try and get that result against Leicester. And I think this team deserves a lot more trophies than what it's got. I think Carragher turned around and said it the other week. He said, for you know, if Klopp only walks away with one Premier League title in the time he's been here, it's 
it's a bit of a glaring statistic really because of what he has built and how good this Liverpool team has been. It's just so unfortunate that it's come at a time where Manchester City have just been this relentless winning machine and you know they've won the last, what, four Carabao Cups in a row. They've got two starting 11. So I definitely think it shows these younger players and the fringe players as well that if you stick around to the club and you work hard, there is silverware at the end of it. There is, you know, a big reward. And I think for maybe some of the senior players, you know, who may be thinking, is there any way they can catch Manchester City or how many trophies can they win at Liverpool? I think to put another winner's medal around your neck halfway through the season gives you that confidence to, if Manchester City do slip up, I think, to put a, a medal around your neck in February with still four months of a, you know, three months left of a season to go. I think that could be... A, everything Liverpool needs, whether they want to set everything out on the Champions League, whether they want to set everything out on the Premier League. Um, I, I do think it can be a catalyst for, for big things. Um, you know, players never get tired of winning. They never get tired of putting medals around the neck. So there's definitely a big chance to go out there and win it. And it's just a big statement, again, to see Liverpool winning another trophy, Henderson doing another shuffle. Um, and it would just be good to say, just in general, we haven't seen a domestic cup, like you said, since Kenny Daglish, um, and that was against Cardiff. Um, and we haven't seen Klopp get to this final since his first season where City beat us on penalty. So any bit of silverware for, for Liverpool is just uh, something that's got to be, you know, taken with both hands, really. Yeah, and I think what you say there about it, you know, it can give you a boost for the second half or the latter stages of the season is so true as well. We've seen it time and time again with the League Cup. Like you say, Guardiola has won the last four in a row. They would win that and then they kick on for the rest of the season. And, and Mourinho used to do it at Chelsea and Ferguson used to do it at Man United. So it's a it's a, it is definitely got got value in that in that sense as well. So fingers crossed that we can come out on top um in a few weeks' time. But just before we go, obviously we've got a bit of a break now. I'm sure Klopp will be delighted given <laughs> you know um, how congested a large part of this season has been. And then it's back into action in two weeks against Cardiff in the FA Cup. But then obviously the next league game is Leicester City at home. But Fingers crossed by then, we could well have a fully fit squad for the first time in, I'm not sure how long. Obviously, Salah Mane and Naby Keita will be back from Cameroon and they'll be ready to get back into club action after the Africa Cup of Nations. And fingers crossed, the reports are that Thiago and um, Divock Origi will also be fit after the international break, which means there's just more options to choose from. And going into the last third of the season or last half of the season, having our whole squad available again, Harvey Elliott as well, all of a sudden the depth looks a lot better and we're ready to you know, come at the next part of the season fully fit and fully raring to go. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely massive for Liverpool this, I think. Especially, like you said, everyone was writing us off at December time before the African Cup of Nations started, saying that Liverpool would fall by the, by the side and would, you know, would just get, have Champions League qualification this season. They, they wouldn't be able to chance for a title. So, I think to have them players coming back, you've got Thiago, you've got Harvey Elliott, who was so exciting before that horrible injury away at Leeds. Um, like you said, you've got a Regis, there's another option to come off the bench. I think this is, we could see something special from Liverpool going into the second. I'm not saying we're going to go and win everything coming the second half of the season, but I do think we could go back to seeing a vintage Liverpool team where they start rattling off six, seven, eight, nine, ten wins in a row. Because you have got that squad depth. You know, who do you want to, do you want to play Thiago? Do you want to play Naby? Do you want to play 
Oxley Chamberlain, do you want to play Harvey Elliott in that in that midfield three? And I'm, you know, it's I'm sure Klopp would love to have these selection headaches because over the last eighteen months it's just been an absolute nightmare for him. But I think to have this this break now, and like we said, Matip confidence, you know, his performance dropped the last two games. I think it's the perfect time for players to go away for a week with the families or the friends and recharge the batteries, come back and this is the last big break they'll get. I know there's there's another international break to come. Um but this is the last big break they'll get now. Um, and I think they've just got to make the most of it, come back and set your sights on your already in one cup final. You know, Liverpool are talked about as a team that can go on to win the Champions League. And, you know, you've already knocked the gap down to Manchester City to nine points with a game in hand. So I definitely think there will be some some momentum to come from, from this winter break. You know, it's never a bad thing to have somebody like Thiago coming back from an injury. Um and like I said, I think we could see vintage Liverpool rattling off six, seven, eight, nine, ten wins in a row because of how good the, the squad is when it's fully fit. Everyone talks about Liverpool's squad depth, but it doesn't look as good when you've got five players injured. Um, but I think when Liverpool have got a fully strength squad, I definitely think they can compete with anyone. Yeah, completely agree. So we'll just have to see what happens in the next few weeks. But until then, um, we'll have a break as well. We'll probably won't be here next week because of the international break, but we'll be back um, to preview the Cardiff City game um, and give, bring you all the latest Liverpool news as usual. So, James, thank you very much for your time. No problem. Thanks for having us again, mate. And yeah, fingers crossed the Reds can keep going after the break, but you can get plenty of content from us online at anfieldcentral.co.uk. And on our Twitter as well, at Anfield underscore Central. So be sure to check that out. Our podcasts are released on Apple Pods. But yeah, until next time, thank you for listening and goodbye.